0: Do we exist? Were we created with a purpose, or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to the Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. Join us as we seek to see a generation captivated and transformed by the truth of Christianity. This is the Universe Next Door. Checked out the episode that came out this past Tuesday night. Make sure to check it out because this is a part two to that. It's kind of like a continuation. Uh, It was supposed to be all done in one shot, but as usual, I talked too long, and now we have a part two. So, the deal today uh, after last Tuesday, we introduced different spiritual beings, uh, angels, cherubim, seraphim, etc. Today, we're kind of zooming in on uh, the seven angels in the book of Revelation in chapters two and three and elsewhere, as you'll see. But when you look at those, those seven letters that were written in the book of uh, Revelation to um, the seven different Asian churches, They're actually made out to the angels of those churches, and that's often dismissed. It's often kind of set aside, and it's like, oh, well, that's weird, so we'll just say angel can be messenger. It's just the messengers of the churches. Uh, I disagree, so we're going to get into that today. We're going to have a lot of fun doing it, hopefully, Uh, but before we do that, make sure you go and uh, hit follow wherever you're listening. Hit follow and hit notify so you know of new content coming out. Um, Sometimes, just like right now, we release content out of the usual on different days, uh, other than Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. We also have a new segment coming out. We do Q&As, so we have a Q&A at the last Friday of this month, the last Friday of January. Uh, make sure you send in your questions for that. You can ask a question having to do with anything faith-related. It can be topics we've done or topics we haven't done. It can be literally anything that you might have trouble with or that you might have a hard time answering. Uh, so send those to information at apologetics.org. That's information at apologetics.org. Uh, don't forget to hit follow. So with that being said, let's get into uh, the book of Revelation. Always fun and exciting and easy to understand. In fact, Revelation is the one book that nobody disagrees with. Uh, on about anything. Everyone agrees on everything. Just kidding. So Revelation, uh, we're going to be mainly looking at two and three, but we're going to do a lot of cross-referencing. There's a lot going on here. Uh, But the question is, who are the angels of the seven churches? I'm going to show you some things that I think are certain from Scripture here, and I'm going to show you some things that I think uh, Bible authors may have taken from the Second Temple period from books that were not canonical, uh, but that were very significant. Not canonical, meaning not part of Scripture, not inspired, but they were important and had a lot of relevance to the biblical authors. So I think they, they also gathered some from there, and we're going to see how it all kind of comes together here. So, first of all, let's look at... Revelation 2, just so you know exactly what we're talking about. If you look at Revelation 2, this is where the, um, the seven letters to the churches begin. You'll see verse 1, chapter 2, to the angel to the church in Ephesus. Now, you might have a little uh, footnote there next to angel, and you might see that it says messenger on the footnote. Okay, so keep that in mind. That's going to be significant uh, for our discussion here. Look at verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Okay, look at verse 12, to the angel of the church of Pergamum. Now, we could go on and on, uh, but this is the case for all seven of them. They're made out to the angel, your footnote might say, um, underneath, to the messenger of the church of fill in the blank. So, you might be asking, what's the deal with the footnote? Well, you guys might remember last uh, Tuesday, if you've listened to that episode yet, uh, we know that angel means messenger, uh, if you have a friend named Angelo, for example, that's, that's the same term here. There are different variations of the word angel, Angelo, uh, Angelou, sometimes it's spelled depending on the usage of it, but it means messenger. That's the literal meaning of it. And the purpose of that is that angels or these certain specific spiritual beings are God's messengers. They're entrusted with delivering a message from God to people. And you remember in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the term is Malach. So when you see the angel of the Lord, you'll see Malak Yahweh, or the angel of God, you'll see Malak Elohim. So that's the term uh, for angel in the Old Testament, but that's the meaning of it as messenger. So this, the, the suggestion, and sometimes this is probably even the, the, well, I would say this is the most common interpretation of Revelation 2 and 3 and who these letters are written to. Um, it, it's commonly said that they're written to the messengers of those churches, So maybe it's the bishop slash pastor slash overseer. Maybe it's whoever's going to read the letter out loud. Um, This is who this is often attributed to, and it's not given much attention. So it's translated angel, but then you have that footnote down bottom that says messenger. Well, there are a couple issues um, with that footnote, not with the footnote being there in general, but with viewing that footnote as Um, what the understanding of the passage should be. There's some issues, I think, with viewing these angels just as generic human messengers. The first issue with it is that of the 176 times that this term is used in the New Testament, the term angel, in different variations, there are only several usages, the whole New Testament, there are only several usages that do not describe spiritual beings. So of all the times... Almost 200 times this term angels used, there are literally a small handful that describe anything other than a spiritual being, or in other words, that describe a generic human messenger. Um, Now, while again, it could be understood that way, this first of all shows us that it's probably not the most likely choice right off the bat uh, before even digging into the context here. Okay, so it's, it's not the most likely choice. But number two, if we zoom further in and look at who the author is and who's the author of Revelation, the Apostle John. Well, thankfully for us, Revelation is one of five uh, of John's writings. He has the Gospel of John and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, um, of course, with Revelation being the icing on the cake. No, being the, the cherry on the ice cream. So, so here's another little issue. The Apostle John never uses the term angel, the Greek term here, to describe anything other than a spiritual being. In any of his writings, he never uses it generically to describe a human messenger. Nowhere, barring the possibility of revelation. He does on the other hand use a variation of the term to describe figures that are indisputably spiritual beings. So for example in John 151, this is a gospel of John. So John 151 says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So that's an example of, uh, of John clearly using the term angel as describing a spiritual being, the angels of God. Um, and he's referencing back to, I believe, Genesis 28 with Jacob's ladder. Very awesome uh, sort of picture of Christ there from the Old Testament translated into the New. We, we touched on that in another episode too, but Um, So right there, he uses the term angel. Very clearly, he uses it to describe a spiritual being, not a generic human messenger. So that's an example of him using it there. Um, If you go to to John 20, if you remember after Jesus' resurrection, um, in verse 12, he describes the two angels that were there at the scene. And he uses the same term again, the same term he's using in Revelation. So you have a number of examples of him using this uh, to describe spiritual beings, you never have an example of him using it generically to describe human messengers. Now, on the other hand, there are plenty of terms he could have used if he was simply describing human messengers. He could have used a term uh, presbyter. He could have used a term episkopos, the, the term translated into bishop. There, there are a number of terms, shepherd, uh, that he could have used that, that would have been well known if he was intending to write uh, this portion of of Revelation chapters two and three with the seven letters to human messengers or human leaders. There are a lot of terms he could have used um, and it's very unlikely that he would have used this term angel here when he never uses it elsewhere. So uh, that's, that's sort of our first roadblock cleared up with that footnote there. Um, So, If he is writing to spiritual beings and he's not writing to humans, we have to dig in a little further um, to to sort of determine that. So who are the letters addressed to and what in the context now warrants that they are heavenly hosts and not human beings? Well, the first mention of an angel in Revelation is made right in the introduction of the book. So if we go to chapter one and we look at verses one and two, uh, that's Revelation chapter one, I'm reading from the NIV at the moment here. I, I generally like to do that uh, because it's easier to understand, especially if you're not sitting in front of a Bible. Um, I, I use all kinds of translations to cross-reference when studying scripture, but this is what I prefer to read out loud. But this is, um, this is Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So, you see, by sending his angel. So, right off the bat, you have this concept of an angel introduced. And you're going to see that all over the book of Revelation. And this, again, like we touched on last week, or actually that was this week. Anyway, we, we touched on the concept and the idea that the book of Revelation is a very supernaturally focused book. This is about a vision where John goes to heaven. Okay. The door of heaven is open in front of him. This, this, is not, this is not a rundown of John reading us their numbers from last quarter. Okay. This is a very supernatural book. It is apocalyptic literature. And so we have to view it that way. And interestingly enough, in apocalyptic literature, it, it wasn't unusual to have an angel guide. Um, For the book. So if you look at Second Temple literature, you'll see that all over the place, apocalyptic literature. It's not unusual to have an angel guide uh, guiding somebody through this tour, so to speak. So right here, you have an angel introduced in the introduction of the book, um, right in the first and second chapter. So God made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. Now, if we go down a few more verses, starting in verse 4, we see John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So we see another term introduced here that's going to be controversial, um, and that is the term seven spirits. So you have God, the father and God, the son, and then you have the seven spirits before his throne. Now, while it is not unusual for two persons of the Trinity to be mentioned in the letterhead, there is no instance in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is mentioned alongside the Father to begin a letter. So, for example, when you have um, the introduction in in Philippians, you'll see grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll see the same thing in Ephesians, and so on and so forth. Paul often starts his letters this way. Um, He'll list God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we know God is a trinity, so I'm not ruling out the possibility here that the um, seven spirits or the sevenfold spirit is the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that can't be a possibility, but I'm going to show you that I think it's It's very unlikely uh, that the seven spirits here are the Holy Spirit rather than seven angels. We're going to show a link later um, that I think makes it really obvious. But you have um, the, seven, the seven spirits here in front of God's throne, Uh, mentioned in the introduction in verse four here. And so again, the reason this is important is A, we're going to show how these seven spirits are linked with the the angels of the seven churches. And B, we're going to show that I don't think that the seven spirits are the Holy Spirit, uh, though though many hold that view. I don't think that's the case. I think they are the seven angels and they're linked together with the angels of these churches. Um, Now, again, some people will argue that the seven spirits are the Holy Spirit. And one of the reasons is that if you look at uh, the book of Isaiah in chapter 11, um, this is going to be verses two and three here. So if you want to go to Isaiah 11, uh, verses two and three, we see the spirit of God will, uh, or the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and, and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So, you see these attributes given here, um, these these seven different sort of uh, attributes of God, but this is not intended to be, I don't think this is this is extensive. I think this is just a poetic way of describing God. I mean, for example, comfort and conviction are not mentioned here. I don't think this is intended to be a full list of all of the Holy Spirit's attributes. I think this is just a, ho- a poetic way of describing him, and of course, the number of seven uh, is always a holy number. It's always a significant number in scripture. So Isaiah, it seems to be in verses two and three here, listing the seven attributes in a poetic way, but I don't think it's, it's an all-intensive all, in, all intensive, uh, definition of the Holy Spirit or name for the Holy Spirit. Now, I did want to cross-reference quickly. Um, this is an article from the Gospel Coalition, uh, from somebody named Brandon D. Smith. And, and just as a side note, the the Gospel Coalition, they do have a lot of good material. There's tons of people who have written for them and are writing for them. Um, so you'll find a lot of good stuff there and useful stuff. But at the end of the day, they are uh, kind of the ringleaders in the woke church. Their they're, Their startup was funded by the Riottis, the same people who uh, funded the Hillary Clinton campaign. So you can look into that if you want to. The, the, I'm, n- I'm not a huge fan in general, but there is a lot of good stuff there. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is cross reference. I'm going to disagree here with an article uh, from somebody on this very topic, the the sevenfold spirit or the seven spirits being the Holy Spirit. So this is an article from Brandon D. Smith. I'll link it in the description below. A well-written article. I just disagree with it. So he suggests that the throne room scenes in Revelation 4 and 5 show the seven spirits proceeding from the throne as the eyes of the lamb. So read Revelation 4 and 5 if you haven't. Whereas every other creature in heaven is turned toward the throne, bowing down and singing praises to God in Christ, we see the seven spirits coming from the throne, indicating that unlike angels or other creatures, they have a place on God's throne and represent his activity from the throne. So, uh, so he's making the point here that... Um, because these whatever the sevenfold spirit is is uh, described as the eyes here. He's saying, well, eyes proceed from the throne where every other creature in heaven is turned toward the throne, and so this wouldn't be um, this wouldn't be angelic creatures or anything like that. It would be the Holy Spirit. However, this is me speaking now. However, while creatures in Revelation are often uh, depicted directing worship toward the throne of God human beings will be given the right to rule with Christ from his throne don't forget that and where is that found revelation 321 okay we're going to de- to replace the divine council we know that angels are given authority by god and so we know that one day we are going to rule with Christ from his throne that's in revelation 321 so this reasoning doesn't hold up very well um and and while this passage does not warrant that god that angels can automatically sit on god's throne as well it's not a foreign concept to suggest that angels are given authority by god that's what this whole series series is about we know spiritual beings are given authority we know that we have the they have the power to make decrees under god's authority so that's something we definitely have to bear in mind that a lot of people don't acknowledge but secondly the other point remember Um, We're never actually told that they're on God's throne in in the verse that we just read in chapter one, verse four, we see that they are before his throne, the seven spirits before his throne, or you could say in front of his throne. Um, But in addition to that, his reasoning for saying that they're, they're, they're looking out from God's throne is because they're described as eyes. Well, this again is a misunderstanding of apocalyptic, um, in second temple period literature. This is a misunderstanding of what the term eyes means. Now we touched on this a little bit last week, but remember that the term eyes has a lot of precedent in ancient culture for spiritual beings. Um, it doesn't have to mean that they're looking out from the throne. It, it has its own meaning. So in, in near Eastern culture, as far back as ancient Egypt, ancient Mesopotamia, certainly into the second temple period, um, angels are often referred to as eyes. And this is because again, Babylonians and others believe that the stars were living angelic beings and that the stars were referred to as the eyes of the sky. And so this is one of the many uh, things that could have rubbed off uh, onto Israel or that they would have adopted from Babylon and Egypt and so on and so forth, um, just as they did with a number of things, a number of terms like watchers, like cherubim, uh, the Aramaic language, for example. They, they took a lot of things regarding language because this is what they were surrounded by, especially during the exile. Um And we did touch on the Ezekiel vision in Ezekiel 1 uh, and 10, that he he expands on in 10, where we see the rims uh, being high and awesome. All four rims were full of eyes all around. And we touched a little bit Tuesday on uh, those eyes being the four constellations and so on and so forth. Um, There's a lot more to it than it often looks like. And again, he was writing from Babylon. But the point is that um, eyes were understood to be spiritual beings. And this point is certainly not lost. When you consider Daniel 4, uh, he he refers to angels as watchers. You can see how they'd go hand in hand with eyes. Um, So again, we have the ancient understanding of eyes. We have Revelation 1, where we see that the seven spirits were standing in front of the throne, and we see the same thing in Revelation 4, verse 5, which reads, In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. So here's where we see a very important connection, a very important link in Revelation 4, verse 5. Again, in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. So this is very significant to our argument here, my argument at least, uh, that clearly there's a connection between the seven angels of the Asian churches, the seven churches, and the seven spirits. Here's a link provided, right? We see the seven lamps, and we see the seven spirits of God. Um, so where does this connection come from, and what is John trying to communicate? What is he, what is he communicating by linking them together here? Well, when you look at Revelation 3.1, John's usage of the number seven and the connection between the seven spirits and the seven angels of the churches is revealed. We see a very obvious purpose to it. He says in Revelation 3.1, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So that's the link we need, right? We see Christ holding the, uh, these are the words of Christ, him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's the link that we need to show um, who these angels are, to show that they're not, they're not generic messengers and to show that the seven spirits of God are not the Holy Spirit. And remember, we saw when we referenced uh, Revelation 1.20, we saw that it's, it's made clear that the seven stars are the seven angels of the churches. So the stars are the angels of the churches, the seven stars. And this shouldn't be surprising to us. Uh, in a book where the Old Testament, interestingly enough, by the way, the, the Old Testament is never quoted in the book of Revelation. Isn't that Interesting. It's never once quoted. And now, right now, you're probably thinking about, well, Nick, what about here and here and here? What about the holy, holy, holy? What about... It's never quoted. It's referenced. It's referenced. You could make the argument that it's alluded to or referenced in every single verse of Revelation, but it's never directly quoted in the book of Revelation. Um, So anyway, this shouldn't surprise us that in a book where the Old Testament is alluded to over and over and over, angels are referred to as stars in the Old Testament. In Job 38, 7, for example, the sons of God are referred to as stars and elsewhere. Um, so this shouldn't be surprising to us. Um, Christ holds the seven spirits and the seven stars or the angels of the churches in his hands. We see the connection here, and that's important. That's sort of the, the fireworks of the argument here. Um, now, let's get into the eyes a little bit more from a scriptural context, because the Bible actually does use this term elsewhere as well. Um, so if you look at Second Chronicles sixteen and nine, and again just a fun fact if you didn't know, uh, First and Second Chronicles are one book in the Hebrew Bible, uh, just like First and Second Kings, First and Second uh, Samuel. What probably happened is they didn't have enough room on the scroll when they translated it um, into Greek for the Septuagint, and then you end up with First and Second for these different books. But it's just one book. Uh, you may have known that. You probably knew that, but if not, fun fact. So Second Chronicles sixteen nine. Um, this shows us a scene of the eyes of God at work. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show themselves strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. So that's the King James here, and that's Second Chronicles sixteen nine. But again we have the eyes of the Lord. Okay, it is the job of the eyes of the Lord uh, to examine and to report to God what they observe as they go back and forth across the earth. So these are spiritual beings tasked by God. That's 2 Chronicles 16, 9. Now, we're going to see this again in Zechariah 4, uh, but we also see in the book of Job, and I might do a short episode on this too. I, I, I touched on this in pretty good detail in our Satan series that we did last year. Oh, fun, joy. Uh, but I might do an episode on who the Satan in Job actually is. Now we see the same thing in Job, though. We see this uh, spiritual being, the Satan, or Satan who goes to and from all the earth and walks up and down on it. Um, So that's a similar description. We have in Zechariah 4, which is a chapter crucial to understanding revelation. Everybody would agree with that. We see in in Zechariah 4, uh, verse 10, that these seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. So again, um, there is plenty of precedent for spiritual beings in and here Uh, Zechariah 4.10, even the seven, specifically seven spiritual beings being referred to as eyes, and they're referred to as eyes, think about it, why would they be called eyes? Well, because they can see things. They can see things we can't see as spiritual beings. They're not limited to the physical realm like we are limited to the physical realm, except for in the rare case that God uh, gave these men a vision, a very specific vision or a prophecy. We're limited to the physical realm. We can't see what they can see. So um, the eyes are now seen here in Revelation 5-2 uh, in their heavenly role. It's the same beings, um, the same old, old Testament terminology here used to describe them. And notice, um, this is actually really interesting. I'll read you Revelation 5-2 and you'll see um, something, something really interesting and directly linked to what we just read from Chronicles and from uh, Zechariah. Revelation 5-2 says the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, now listen to this, sent out into all the earth. So remember, John never makes any direct quote from the Old Testament, but here he is very clearly alluding to what we just read about the eyes being sent out into all of the earth. It's the same creatures here. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's spiritual beings. And I think that much is made obvious here. I think we've made that much Uh, clear. So now that we've cleared that up, we know that it's not the Holy Spirit. We've established that the the eyes, um, they have a position in the Bible. They're used in the Bible. They're mentioned in the Bible, Old Testament, Revelation, second temple period literature. Who are these seven angels, these seven spirits that are linked? Again, just a rehash. We know the seven spirits are the seven angels of the churches or the seven stars, We saw that link just a moment ago. So who are they and how are they connected also with the the angels who blow the seven trumpets in Revelation 8 through 11? So earlier I touched on the significance of Second Temple period literature. Um, While it isn't inspired, while it isn't included in the canon, it is significant because it helps us understand what the New Testament writers were writing. Uh, This is because they were very familiar with Second Temple period literature. They reference it all the time. And in fact, I think there are a handful of passages that apart from, for example, the Book of Enoch, you almost just can't make sense of it. Um, Like the weird passage in First Peter, we did that last year. Um, You have the Ascension of Moses referenced in the Book of Jude, where the Archangel Michael and, and Satan are arguing over the body of Moses. So these are... These are very significant writings to the New Testament authors, and while they're not inspired, they are very, very important. Um, so with this being said, Enoch, it's, it's referred to as the Book of Enoch. It's actually 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Enoch, and it's not claimed to have been written by Enoch. Uh, it, it was somebody else, and they would just use different names. They weren't pretending to be Enoch. Just you have to name it something. And there's a ton of these type of books in the intertestamental period, or the Second Temple period. Um, but Enoch has without a doubt impacted John's writing of the book of Revelation. Um, and I think it very well may explain who he had in mind with these seven angels. Um, and again this this is a concept this isn't just speculation. it's not like they just found this in Second Temple period literature. We just saw a couple of verses from the Old Testament where even in um, Zechariah seven angels are specifically mentioned as. Uh, being referred to as the eyes of the Lord. So um, this this didn't pop up in the book of Enoch. A lot of the stuff you see in second temple period literature is either commentary on or expansions of what you see in the old Testament. And I think this is one of those cases. And if you're ever interested, you can find Enoch online. You can just type it in and you'll find a PDF uh, and a couple of good translations. But uh, so in Enoch chapter 20, if we look at verse, the section is one through seven, but in verse one, we see seven holy angels or archangels presented. Remember that number seven, that's significant. So, seven archangels are presented. Their names are Uriel, Raphael, Raguel, Michael, you recognize that name, Sarakiel, Remael, and another name you recognize, Gabriel. And in fact, the author of Enoch presents these seven angels as those who, guess what? Who watch. These are the seven angels who watch. In Enoch, chapter twenty, verse one. Now, I don't think that that's a coincidence. Okay, in Revelation eight two, it's not simply mentioned that there were seven angels, but that they were the seven angels. And in fact, one of the angels you'll know, Michael. He's mentioned directly in the book of Revelation. He's, he's mentioned in chapter twelve, uh, where he's seen, of course, waging war with Satan or the dragon. And Gabriel, he's he's not mentioned directly in Revelation. Um, though he he plays a huge role in the New Testament, of course, Um, but uh, Gabriel, while not being mentioned explicitly, the birth of Christ is alluded to in Revelation chapter 12, Uh, interestingly enough. So I think it's certain that the seven angels are actual spiritual beings, that we saw that the angels, um, the seven angels slash stars, are linked with the seven spirits of God, And I think there's a good case to be made, while that I think is fact, I think there's a good case to be made that these are the same seven angels mentioned in the book of Enoch that the New Testament authors, including John, would have been very, very familiar with. So... I hope you found this uh, episode interesting. I hope you found it helpful. Don't forget to send your questions into information at apologetics.org. In next Tuesday at 5 p.m., we're going to continue our series on the Divine Council, so don't miss that. But otherwise, I hope you have a blessed weekend. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door.